503. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of, you guessed it, ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources that will hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live increasingly for Christ, experiencing the life-giving freedom and purpose he has made us for. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out spiritblade.com. But on the show today, I'm going to share my review of God of War for the PS4, or at least my trial and error. Well, I guess it's not trial and error when you put it on, when I put it on the podcast. I'll share my thoughts basically about the first five hours of the game. Um, so not a review of the entire experience, but uh, for the sake of timeliness, if you're not familiar with my approach to video game reviews, um, I uh, usually play the first five hours of a game and give you my thoughts based on that. So I'm also going going to uh, share my review of the Avengers Infinity War. We've finally reached this point. Can you believe it? Holy cow, such a long time in the making. Uh, plus, some thoughts on how writers should or should not approach the genre of supernatural fiction. All right, let's get to it. My father once told me that I could use my powers to make a difference. He told me I had a responsibility to help others. He told me I could save this world. Save everyone. Then he told me, walk the gerbil, walk the gerbil. Frickin' weirdo. Avengers Infinity War. Um, if you've seen this movie already and you know my taste, you can maybe imagine why I'm happy. But anyway, um, the synopsis on IMDb for this movie, and I'm not gonna give any spoilers, Reads, the Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice... Let me get my mic just a little bit closer here. Uh, the Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice all in an attempt to defeat the powerful Thanos before his blitz of devastation and ruin puts an end to the universe. I think I have a little bit of popcorn. You have just a little bit of popcorn kernel still in my mouth. Um, so let me, I'll just cut to the chase and say that I enjoyed this movie quite a bit um maybe the 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 marvel movie i've enjoyed most since um well i really enjoyed black panther i think i enjoyed black panther more than this one ultimately and yet this one went some places that black panther didn't quite go to that i really would have really wished it would have but i think on the whole i think i enjoyed black panther more than this one but um and like captain america civil war and Spider-Man Homecoming, these are Marvel movies I really like. The first three, or the, the three Iron Man movies, um, I found, going back to the original Avengers movie, that for me, it just doesn't hold up. There's, It was a real novelty and so exciting to see all those characters uh, together for the first time in that first Avengers movie that I saw it twice in the theater, loved it both times, and saw it again when I bought it, still really enjoyed it. 
And then something weird happened. I left it alone, came back to it after about a year and a half and watched it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so uninteresting and almost unwatchable for me now. So uh, I think maybe there was just something, the story itself was not really strong. And so once, once the novelty was over of having all these characters cross over into the same movie, then the story wasn't working for me. I'm curious if that'll be the same thing, if that'll be the case with this movie. But I have reason to think that it won't be. And I'll get into that in just a second. Let me talk a little bit about the story, the script, the pacing, the tone. Um, what, what, man, there's so much going on in this movie. It's two and a half hours long, and I think that was really good for it. Uh, it, it really allowed the movie to breathe, something I really wanted Justice League to do. Uh, this movie had time to breathe, and it used that time to breathe, to insert numerous character beats um, and emotional setups throughout the movie, which a number of past Marvel movies I, I feel like have not... Uh, it's not that they haven't taken the time to breathe, they just haven't used that breathing time to uh, set up as many emotional moments that really connected with me or set up character motivations that really connected with me. Um, and I really felt like they did that so much more often in this movie than they have in many in the past. Uh, and the stakes for me were emotional because I could tell which characters cared about who and what the stakes were for them. And um, uh, and something else contributed that, to that as well, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but this movie also definitely goes... Heavy. It goes heavy. Uh... <laughs> I don't dare say any more than that, but uh, it gets emotionally heavy. Bad stuff goes down. <laughs> significantly and so I'm like yay because I really uh, I really like um, I, I know that a lot of people that enjoyed the Marvel movies have enjoyed them for their light nature and don't get me wrong the jokes are still there they're still all over the place um, and they're still very hit or miss for me and for the theater that I was in as well my theater was about half filled so it was you know it was a decent sized audience and a number of the jokes just completely fell flat I mean like if you if you didn't speak English and you were just sitting in the theater and listening to the audience react, you would think there were far fewer jokes than were actually in the uh, the script because a lot of the time the the audience was just completely silent, not a chuckle or anything, you know. Um, and that's been my experience a number of times in Marvel movies, and and the ones that actually make me laugh are even fewer and f further between. Uh, but that said, I did chuckle and laugh more frequently in this movie than in a number of Marvel movies that I've seen. And so I, the, I really enjoyed that. And, um, and I was reminded of what I, of, uh, some of these characters that, that I've liked in their movies and why I liked them. Um, Dr. Strange, that was another Marvel movie that I, um, that I remember liking. Uh, and so seeing him in the movie get so much screen time and Spider-Man get so much screen time, I really enjoyed, uh, what they were given to do in this movie and how their characters were brought out of it. Maybe not so much Doctor Strange's character, but just like what he's capable of, all of his spells and stuff. What was... Uh, I'll cross my fingers and try to get back to... No, no, no. I'm, I don't want to forget it. I didn't do, make as many notes, so I don't want to forget this now. Um, this must have been just a monumental task to get all of... Not just to, you know, get all the actors together for this movie, but the production design. When you think about the makeup for all these different characters, the costume design for all these different characters throughout all these different movies, um, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Doctor Strange and, uh, well, I guess Spider-Man's costume was new, but but there's so much you know, Thor Ragnarok. There's so much that had to be carried over. I can only imagine the monumental task it was to get all those designs and have someone that could pull them effectively and replicate them, reproduce them accurately for this movie, sets and things like that. You know, so it was, um, 
It was just impressive to see that from just a production standpoint. Anyway, um, da, 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 okay, back to the story. So yeah, still plenty of jokes. Um, so don't you don't have to fear if you you know are like ah I don't really like grim heavy movies or whatever. Um, you won't necessarily avoid that in this movie. It does get grim. It does get heavy. But there's still frequent jokes, and um, frequently they come after heavy moments. But Sometimes they don't. There are some heavy moments that are not interrupted by jokes immediately following them. So that was really cool, too. So um, anyway, I, I feel like as far as the tone of, of Marvel movies goes, when I reviewed Thor Ragnarok, I was like, OK, is this what Marvel movies are becoming? But after seeing Black Panther and now this one, I'm looking back and I'm saying, you know what? I don't think Thor Ragnarok was a, an, a, an evolution of Marvel saying, we got to keep going with the joke thing because that's really working for us. What seems to be happening, just this is just a, you know, speculation and a kind of a crazy impression, but uh, is that they're, they're being allowed to shake things up a bit in terms of their tone. Um, and Thor Ragnarok was an example of shaking things up further in the direction of comedy, whereas Spider-Man Homecoming, Black Panther, and now this one would be examples of them shaking things up by injecting more character moments in and allowing things to be a little bit more emotionally heavy along with the jokes and stuff. And so I, I am like thrilled to be able to say that like this movie is making me be able... I, I think I can almost say I like Marvel movies again. <laughs> if this pattern continues, I think I'll be able to say I like Marvel movies again, which is uh, uh, really neat for me to be, for me to be able to say. Um, the story itself is, is pretty basic, I think. You know, there's a big bad who needs to collect these things to get ultimate power. Don't let him get those things. Fight him, fight him. Don't let him do it. And that's just what the whole movie is. It's like he's going to go get this thing over here. He needs, you know, these five stones and they're all sp uh, spread out in different places. So he's just kind of, he and his armies or, you know, and his servants and stuff are all kind of split up going to different places to acquire these stones. And there are various heroes to be found in those various stone locations. And so they're, you know, it's just, it's just a ton of fight scenes and things trying to get done with lots of explosions and, you know, uh, special effects and stuff and uh but i mean it's i still really i still really enjoyed it because they gave so many of these characters some neat beats and also i think it was still just on a bigger scale that novelty of the first avengers movie of seeing okay now that the marvel universe has expanded so much seeing all of them come together and you know like for example black panther i really enjoyed the black panther movie that character did not get uh, near as much individual time. Wakanda, his country, got a bunch of screen time, and the characters of the supporting cast of the Black Panther movie, you know, but I don't know that Black Panther got all that much more screen time than one of his supporting cast members did. It was very much kind of like an ensemble representing the Black Panther property in uh, in this movie, you know. And I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of Black Panther specifically doing his thing and stuff, but it was still great to see that, you know, a uh, film that I really enjoyed getting a lot of uh, kind of representation in the, in the story here. Um, it was just kind of neat to see all these characters... Doctor Strange, again, coming, doing his thing. And there was some great teamwork going on, especially in the that I noticed in the Doctor Strange fights, where he was using magic to kind of aid other heroes. I don't want to spoil it, but using magic to aid other heroes in doing what they do. It was just super cool. It reminded me of the, the first Avengers movie where there was that one sequence where the it was like the the camera never really cut away and it just panned through the action of all the avengers working finally as a 
team all at once. It was near the end of the movie. Um, this was like that, but I felt like even better. It probably a, a shorter span of time in the movie, but it was just so fast and furious and startling. There were so many cool things that they did with these short snippets of shots that they had. Like one thing that stands out with Doctor Strange is it was a really short cut, but like he's, he gets knocked back. And for just a moment, like if you were to slow it down, he's going back and then he writes himself and his hands go back behind him and his cape, uh, his cloak, you know, kind of f- uh, furls out and it just has this cool shape around him, um, almost like kind of like a Batman spreading of the of the cape type moment, you know. Uh, and then he, you know, goes gets ready for more action, you know. Um, the time it took me to describe that was so much longer than the actual moment itself. And yet it was... I could tell it was given thought. Like, this was a visual moment that the filmmaker wanted to give the audience when he really didn't have to. It was such a quick shot, he didn't have to put that much care and artistry into giving this cool visual moment to Doctor Strange because it was there and gone, you know? But uh, I loved that. I loved that with all of the shortcuts and stuff like that, all the crazy stuff being packed into this movie, there was a lot of great visual uh, style that was going on in, in, the, in the action and stuff. So that, that was really enjoyable. Um, let's see here. Tons of fight scene, tons of variety in the types of fight scenes. There's armies battling armies, and then there's smaller skirmishes that are still epic because of the, you know, massive powers involved that are going head to head. Um, I enjoyed seeing lots of screen time for Doctor Strange and Spider Man. Um, they just totally rocked in this movie. There's still there there was still plenty of screen time. I, I feel like it was spread around pretty well. Maybe to me it just felt like Doctor Strange and Spider Man were getting a lot of great screen time because I care about them as characters more than say the Guardians of the Galaxy which were very present had lots of screen time in the movie as well um, anyway uh, like I think I might have said already I would have liked more Black Panther I'm wondering if that will change as they are editing the second uh, Avengers movie which is going to be kind of a direct follow up I think to this one um, no spoilers or anything like that but I mean there's you know there's some significant game changers and fallout and stuff like that from this movie that I was like, I was looking ahead, I was like, huh, what Marvel movies are coming up, you know, and how are they going to deal with this? And it's just Ant-Man, um, which, who knows, might even take place before the events of this movie. I don't know if they'll say, uh, have a little blurb at the beginning or or, or what. Um, and, uh, and then Captain Marvel, uh, which is going to take place in the 90s. It's not even going to be a present day thing. And so then after that, the next Marvel movie is the next Avengers movie coming next, uh, next summer. So... Um, Anyway, I, I think I would guess that the filming is already done for that movie and it's in post-production. I wouldn't be surprised if, because of the success of Black Panther, that he uh, gets a little bit more screen time in the uh, in, as an individual character in the next movie. And I would really love that. I would have liked to have seen more Captain America. He was definitely present in the movie, definitely had, you know, cool you know moments and stuff like that. But I guess I just wanted more of, like... Him as a character, more dialogue from him, more about where he's coming from. And there were some, it was interesting how, you know, uh, if you saw Civil War and, you know, and some of the other movies as well, there are things, there, there are places where people were left in movies prior to this one where I felt like there were some quick fixes <laughs> that were made to bring them into this one that I felt a little bit like. Really? That that quickly? These two characters are going to be okay with each other now? And it wasn't just that they were coming together because, hey, crap, the universe is going to die if we don't hang out as a team. 
it's really uh, in the script they were more friendly with each other than I felt like they should be maybe given where they were at relationally the last time we saw them there's just some it was just kind of it was just kind of interesting they just kind of you know I, I think they could have just as easily not had them been as friendly with each other and brought out the fact that hey we got we got issues we got to just work together for now and there was some of that but uh, I think it would have made more sense in terms of character motivations and stuff to make that more the glue that brought everybody together. Um, anyway, um, also wanted Ant-Man in this movie. No Ant-Man whatsoever, uh, so that was kind of a bummer. There was a weird, um, again, no spoilers, I'll talk about this vaguely, there was a weird manufactured subplot for Bruce Banner that came out of nowhere at the beginning of this movie, and it stole Hulk's thunder for most of the movie. As a result, I thought Hulk was horribly underused in this movie. Um... That was a bummer. I have to imagine he will play a huge role in the next one, but I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Anyway, um, the cast uh, really was all solid. As usual, I don't. I've never. I don't think I've, I've. There's a lot of problems I usually have with the cast in these movies, but they're so often not given the chance to have quiet, emotional beats where the scene slows down, and there's space between lines. And you can see them welling up with tears. There were some great moments where everyone just shuts up for a little bit. And we get to see some subtext in the performances. And that was so welcome to see uh, some of these actors that are certainly able to uh, bring their talents out. Even in this big kind of crazy spectacle <laughs> superhero movie. Um, as far as the spectacle goes, let me talk about stunts and visuals just briefly by saying there is so much bang for your buck in this movie. Holy crap. It's, I don't want to say that it necessarily has more action than any other superhero movie we've seen before. I think there's certainly been superhero movies that have action as frequently in the script as this one. Um, but I think, the, I think the nature of the movie, having so many different types of characters together, the... You know, you get used to in a movie about Superman or even a movie about like the X-Men, you get used to seeing about five different power sets represented in a movie. Or with Superman, he's got kind of all of them in one. And so you kind of get used to seeing this predictable set of powers used repeatedly. But since there's such a wide variety of characters represented here, there are so many cool visual gags in the action that I just couldn't keep track. I was surprised, delighted so many times by uh, the, the visual support prizes in the action and stuff so i really enjoyed that do i do i still have problems with the the movie with the story i mean sure i do sure i do uh you know and i think if you've listened to my previous reviews about the marvel movies those same kinds of complaints you know would tend to follow me into this movie but that's really not what i'm left thinking about after the experience that i had on the whole i'm left with the positives from the experience which is a really really nice change of pace for me um i i didn't feel like because of the nature of the script and all they had to pack in and it being so action heavy uh, and not really a complex plot at all there wasn't i don't think there was much room for any kind of like um moral philosophical or spiritual themes to pop out i usually like to look for those and highlight those and think about those and see if there's a good jumping off point for a worthwhile thought or conversation i don't really feel like that was the case in this movie except maybe you know if if you if if a marvel fan comes out of the movie and they're feeling like wow 
that was heavy. You know, I'm not sure that I wanted that. Then maybe there's room for a conversation where you talk about uh, how light can shine so much brighter in the midst of darkness or, you know, in, in, or after the darkness has passed or whatever, you know. So um, there there may be some kind of jumping off point there, but I, it's not it's not at all that kind of movie. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's looking to say anything and, and uh, most audience members probably won't hear anything of, uh, of significant uh, uh, value in the themes and stuff like that. Um, okay, so I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I would go back in time and say, Peter, dude, skip it. Don't watch it in the theater and just buy it. Reason, reason being, you are definitely going to want to own this one. Um, and uh, after watching it, you're going to be itching to watch the follow-up Avengers movie. So if you wait and buy it, you'll have it in your collection. You won't spend any money in the theater. And you won't have to wait as long to get that itch scratched for the next Avengers movie, which comes out, I think, next uh, May. So this one's rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action throughout, uh, language, and some crude references. Man, I really enjoyed it. In fact, at this point, I'm going back and I'm like, you know what? Okay, now I think I enjoyed this movie enough that it makes me want to go back and finally purchase out of the bargain bins some of those Marvel movies that I did enjoy that haven't entered into my collection yet. Maybe watch them all again in order or something like that, the ones that I would still like anyway, uh, and uh, and prep for, for next summer. Oh man, can't wait. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, podcast, P-O-S-T-O-S, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Nice. Another achievement unlocked. I bet I got more achievements than anybody I know. Yes, sitting in front of a video game for five hours a day is quite an achievement. See, this is why I don't like talking to you. Then why don't you spend more time with real people? Because real people don't respond to console commands. Wow, Pater. You unlocked yet another achievement. You must have more achievements than anyone you know. Behold, you are great, and greatly to be praised. Yeah, better. All right, let's talk about God of War for the PS4. Um, if you want to watch the uh, the video version uh, where I share my thoughts there, that's actually different. Sometimes I'll take the audio content from uh, a video that I put up and, and I'll use just the audio for the podcast. With video games, I usually do things a little differently, and this time was no exception. So what you'll get if you go to the YouTube channel is uh, unique content that is actually edited down highlights of me playing through the first five hours of the game and reacting to it and giving my comments. Sometimes I'll stop playing to kind of uh, just kind of like blab for a little bit on my opinions about what I've experienced up to that point and then I'll keep playing some more and you'll see more reactions. And so it's uh, it's a combination of my thoughts on the game and also uh, hopefully some entertainment value as I play it really crappily. <laughs> um, anyway, this game it was, was uh, interesting to kind of head into because I had already heard that a bunch of review outlets, in fact, the vast majority of them, um, without any exceptions that I could find, even although I wasn't looking, were just raving about this game. They, and I was, so that made me kind of look forward to it. I was like, great. So there's a pretty good chance that, uh, I'm actually going to enjoy my time with this, you know? Um, and, uh, I've played the first 
two God of War games all the way through back on the PS2. And uh, I played, I think it was because I heard this game was coming out that I started playing through them again. Uh, And then I also played through one or both, I can't remember now, of the PSP God of War games. And I actually enjoyed the PSP games a little bit more because they weren't as punishingly difficult as the first and second games for the PS2. Uh, Especially the end of the first PS1 game, or PS2 game, I realized, as I reflected back, I was like, oh, you know, I got through these on the original PS2 because I had a game, uh, like a code breaker, like a Game Shark type thing. Um, and so playing them again without that advantage, I I didn't finish either game. Um, the, the first game, because it got too punishingly difficult toward the end with all the spikes and crap, instant kill stuff. And then the second one, because I just got tired of the puzzles. They were just a little bit like, ugh, lots of backtracking. Like, okay, what do you want me to do right now, game? You know, and they were the puzzles were a little bit vague as to what you were supposed to, you know, do to... to to you know, so I didn't want to look up guides. I just kind of got sick of it, you know. Um, and and I never did even get God of War three out of the shrink wrap. It's still on my shelf, and I'm I'm debating what I, what what its fate will be at this point. Um, but I was told that you didn't have to uh, know those games at all to start this one, this kind of soft reboot of the series on PS4, and that, in fact, going in blind was actually preferable in the opinion of several commentators. So uh, that's what I did. I'm not going to share any spoilers here. I know there's been kind of a thing about, uh, you know, the, the story. People really wanted to keep it a secret and stuff like that. I'm not going to uh, to talk about the story, actually the, the plot content. I'll talk a little bit about thematic stuff going on, but, uh, uh, but nothing that will give away plot stuff. Um, this story is about Kratos after the events of God of War 3 apparently he has moved on he's living in a very different place whereas the the original God of War games took place in like the the world of Greek um, theology uh, with the, uh, the just all the all the different gods of of, uh, of Greek what is that it's, theology wasn't the word I was looking for there's another one uh, anyway uh, mythology mythology that's what I was looking for uh, this one moves over to like uh, Norse mythology like Viking gods and stuff like that so it, you know I, and I've been watching the the Vikings TV show I discovered that recently that it, that's really kind of my thing and uh, so uh, and I really enjoyed Skyrim and how it took uh, inspiration from Viking mythology as well and so I was really kind of primed I was like okay yeah let's do it baby uh, and so I you know that was a nice kind of change of pace to do that we also find and this isn't ex- isn't explained I assume that there are just a bunch of events that will be filled in about over the course of this uh, this game um, the, Kratos has a son, and uh, this this game involves him traveling uh, with his son to to do something that is very meaningful to both of them. But it's clear that they have not developed a relationship up to this point. Um, that that mom is out of the picture, and she must have been doing all the heavy lifting <laughs> because it is a bad, rough relationship between Kratos and this young boy that he's uh, that, that is that is his son that he's traveling with, and. Uh, um, and that's where a lot of the interest was for me in this game. I really appreciated, excuse me as my, I move my mic, I really appreciated how they used the, the father-son dynamic. I'm a sucker for father-son stories, and uh, uh, I, tend to, I just tend to find them moving. Uh, even before I had uh, kids of my own, I really enjoyed father-son stories like movies like Frequency, and as I got older, Hook. Although Hook became, that became more meaningful, meaningful to me after I had kids. But uh, anyway... Um, and so this one I was able to really appreciate and found moving, um, I think on both levels. I think maybe more maybe more so because I'm a dad, not because I'm a son. 
Um, but anyway, I, it's, it's playing on those themes that I think a lot of, even if you've had really a, a good relationship with your dad, there is still often just less expression of emotion from your dad than from your mom, say. That's just kind of like, that's what I experienced growing up. And uh, uh, and what I, what I think a lot of guys even that have great relationships with their dads experience. And uh, and so that can, that can make those moments of affection being expressed, especially like physical affection, just like simple touches on the back and things like that. Uh, can make those more meaningful um, because they were more rare or they're harder for guys to express, uh, for men to express to their sons and stuff. Um, I'm not like that with my sons, um, but that actually, I think, enhanced the emotion for me because I saw this broken relationship between Kratos and his son where he was having so much difficulty expressing his affection to this boy. And uh, there, he was getting close in a few instances, and then he would kind of pull back. And I just like, oh, I, I felt it because it was a tragic moment. I was like, oh, no, no, come on, dude, come on, you know. Um, and yet I could also relate to Kratos, as big of a grump as he is, and his frustration with his son, just like he, wanting, him, his son, wanting his son to like just do things right, <laughs> You know, I think, you know, whether you're just like, hey, did you use soap when you washed your hands? Kiddo, you've got to use soap. Go back to the bathroom and use soap. Uh, If you just finished wiping your butt, you have got to use soap. (laughs) You can't come back to the table now. You can't be touching things. (laughs) So whatever it is, you know, I think uh, I think any parent can kind of relate to the frustration of not of like seeing your kid not understand these basic things that are important both for for their health and the health of those around them. You know, Um, and even just fixating on the 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 former. You know, things that are for their own health for their own safety you know um can just make you really frustrated like you need to learn this this is super important you know um but yet the tragedy is that it's really easy in those moments for the for us to just express our anger just express our frustration and for it not to come across to our children that that is born out of a place of concern for them concern for their health and for their safety and there's a lot of that going on with kratos where he's like frustrated with his son because he's trying to teach him how to survive, and yet uh, his son is just kind of giving in to his own uh, emotions in the moment, uh, in this really zoomed-in perspective, rather than uh, than seeing the bigger picture that Kratos wants him to see. Boy, as I say that out loud, I can't help but think of the parallels, um, you know, between us and God. God doesn't lose his cool because he knows from the beginning that we're going to biff biff things and, and mess things up, and so he's not like shocked and surprised and disappointed, you know, when like yet again we you know uh, we we fall short. Um, but anyway, yeah. But I but that longing for children to understand the the bigger picture that the parent sees, you know. Anyway, interesting parallel there. But but mostly I wasn't thinking about those kinds of parallels, and you know the relationship between uh, between me and God, but more so about my relationship to to my son. So anyway, I found that uh, I found that moving. I'm curious if people who are not parents, you know, uh, will to what degree they'll find the story moving. But anyway, let me move on and talk about the gameplay a little bit. I was not sure what to expect from this experience because it it was clear from the promotional materials that this series was getting, you know, kind of reinvented in a number of ways. Um, 
so I, I was like, what, what, what's the gameplay going to be like? There's not even a jump button, which jumping was like a big part of the original series. It was very acrobatic, kind of a, almost kind of beat em up arcade style, but with lots of jumping and acrobatics going on. And, uh, um, and then with the, with the puzzles and stuff like that. So, but really, apart from the jump button being gone, there's a lot of it that still feels very much like a God of War game. It's not as fast and, and furious, no pun intended. Um, as the God of War games, he's not using those those big flaming chains that he would whip around. You know, he's got a different type of weapon, but it's still, you know, a lot of like just fighting off waves of bad guys. Um, and then, which is cool, the you know, I, I, I really like the design of the axe and how it flies around and stuff. And combat looks really cool. The, the visuals, the visuals in this game. Uh, it's great stuff. The the score is by Bear McCreary, who's kind of been be- becoming a big name in uh, television and now in video games. He did the Battlestar Galactica music. He's done the uh, Walking Dead music and one or two other, I think, prominent TV shows he's done the music for, or at least the opening themes for. Um, so re- it's really, uh, really good stuff, I think. Um, the voice acting, I think, is really well done. One of the things I, I think is really cool is how they tell the story in this game. Um, there's, there's interaction between Kratos and his son throughout their journey. And so, uh, and and it's unique to the, the places that they're walking through. And, uh, and it's, there's not a lot of repetition unless you kind of really are getting stuck in a rut and going in the same places again and again, then you'll get some repetition there. But really there's, there's very little to no repetition if you're just going straight through, uh, the game apart from maybe some things that the, the boy will, you know, call out during battle and stuff. Um, but it's, it's really cool because it, it smooths out, that kind of rhythm that's common in video games where you'll have like the you know action sequences which make up the bulk of your gaming experience and then once you get to the end of a level or get to a specific pivotal point in a level then it will cut to a cut scene you know and they'll have uh if you're in a 3d environment then wherever you were in that 3d space when it cuts to the cut scene all the characters involved in that scene are repositioned in the environment just just jerked to you know teleported instantly to a new environment a new part of that environment so that they can tell the cut scene blocked out the way they wanted to to tell it um this game doesn't do that which was really shocking to me i was in the middle and you see this in the video that I put up, um, and I comment on it as well. I was in the middle of this combat sequence fighting off these guys in a big open space, and right as I killed the last one, um, a guy jumped on me in a scripted sequence, wrestled me to the ground, this is all in one shot. The camera never cuts away, and that's something that goes on throughout the game. The, the camera, apart from when you open up menus or you know load your game for the first time in a game session, it never cuts away. It's always one continuous shot. So this guy, as soon as I finish killing the last bad guy in the open area, then out of the blue, some guy jumps me in a scripted sequence, wrestles me to the ground, the camera uh, pans, repositions so that you can see him pinning me to the ground, and then also you can see Kratos' son in the background fighting somebody else so it was this very staged set up kind of camera shot but it started from a place that the game could not have predicted i would be in in this i could have been anywhere in this room because i could have been anywhere in this room and i don't know how they pull that off but that was like not the first time that that happened in the game there's all kinds of stuff there's one fight sequence boss fight sequence that looks so cinematic in the way they do it and uh and yet these cinematic moments that kind of are interspersed through, you know, in between, you know, the, the the bulk of me controlling the battle, 
uh, look like they were like expertly blocked out. <laughs> you know, it's really, really crazy. So the way that it takes my choices, my actions in combat, and just makes them a part of the story when they briefly go to these, you know, uh, scripted sequences is really cool, you know? And then you add to that all the dialogue that's happening just as you're traveling around. And the bottom line is it really blurs the line between action sequences and cutscenes. Um, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. I really appreciate that your son, even though he's traveling with you the whole time, is not a liability. You know, I hate quests in games where you have to keep an AI character safe or you have instant failure, you know. Um, if your son gets... In, there are some rare instances that usually does not... It's only happened, it only happened to me once um, where specifically some guys went after him and grabbed him and you had to kind of help him. And if you don't help him, because I just waited it out to test this, uh, then he just kind of like gets incapacitated and he falls to the ground and he's just kind of panting, catching his breath and the bad guys leave him alone. And he's not able to then help you as an AI ally until you go over and press a button near him, you know. Um, but the rest of the time, he is untouched by bad guys and he's jumping around, dodging them and shooting arrows at them and being helpful, which is really, really cool. So uh, no complaints there and uh, and i really like the interactions between him and kratos during battle as he's like calling out stuff and kratos is giving him instructions and stuff and um and and even in that you see character driven stuff happening where uh you know he's like uh and he's having these victorious shouts and kratos is like basically giving him the don't get cocky kid you know line from star wars you know um so yeah it, it's neat to see that continual uh interaction so uh, all that kind of stuff, the story-related stuff, the presentation stuff, really, really enjoyable. What ultimately makes this game a pass for me is um, the, game, the gameplay elements. There is a progression system in the game, um, which uh, feels like an illusion to me, at least in the five hours that I played, where I felt like the way I was upgrading Kratos was probably the way everyone was upgrading Kratos, because there didn't seem to be another way to upgrade Kratos. Maybe some minor things, you know, but but not really. The, uh, the way you upgrade yourself is by upgrading your weapons, which then has an effect on your stats, like your stamina and luck and stuff like that. And uh, But you need not just like cash that you pick up, coins or whatever that you pick up, you also need specific items that you find, spe specific components. But it's not like an open world game or like a RPG where you can go and grind and find those components. No, the, the ones to upgrade your axe, at least that I found, are specifically only obtained after killing a boss. So it's very gated. It's very gated. If I want to upgrade my axe, I'm not going to, no matter how much money I find, I'm not going to be able to do that until I kill this boss. And then and then I can upgrade my axe. So I'm thinking to myself, well, why don't they just, instead of having it be component-based, just after I kill a boss, just show a message that says, your axe has gotten stronger, you know, or whatever. Um, instead of, like, giving me this illusion of, like, oh, I have this component now. Now I can choose to upgrade my axe. Well, what else are you going to use it for, you know? It specifically says that's that this component is for upgrading your axe. Your axe can only be upgraded using this component. What the crap else am I going to do? Why are you making me go through these steps and creating this illusion? 
illusion that all the experience I'm gaining and the coins I'm gaining, you know, really are are empowering me to upgrade myself in a customizable way. Um, so that's that's been a little bit disappointing. Um, I would kind of rather they just not present that illusion. Um, I, 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 you know, and and again, you could argue, well, it's not an illusion, Peter. You know, I mean, they they are giving you the option at, at least at the pace at which you want to upgrade. You know, and and you know, I. Yeah, that's it's just it's just the way it felt to me. And also the way you upgrade health is the same as in previous God of War games where you have to find these chests that uh once you find 3 of a certain kind of chest, then it expands your health bar, you know. Um and I assume there's going to be one for a magic of some kind that I didn't I that that I hadn't found yet, but uh maybe not, I don't know. And uh unlocking those chests involves destroying seals that are in the environment each time you come across one of these chests. And again, you got to find three of these chests just to upgrade your, your health bar a little bit. But just finding one of them requires you to break three seals that are hidden in the environment. And sometimes those seals require... It's, it's environmental puzzles. Not only do you have to locate where the seals are, sometimes you have to do some trickery to get them all lit up at the same time. Because some sometimes they'll have timers on them where it's like, okay, you can knock this seal and it'll glow for a little while. And then you got to quickly go knock the other two seals and have them all glowing at the same time. And that's what will unlock the chest. And that's like, to me... The, that's a timed puzzle. There might not be a timer counting down on screen, but that's a timed puzzle. And I hate timed. I hate puzzles to begin with. And I was hoping that we'd be kind of done with those, or at least that they'd be a lot more simplistic. And they are. They are much more simplistic and much much easier to understand than some of the ones in the in the God of War, the original God of War series. But still, much more frequent than I wanted them to be. And uh, oof, yeah, I just did not. I was not having fun with the timed element in puzzles. That's I, I tend to be a deliberate thinker, not a quick thinker. Um, and so I, I tend to just be bad at kind of action games. Uh, yeah, so I didn't enjoy that aspect of it. And al- along the same lines, I, I really don't enjoy combo-based combat. And that's really what this is. Even as you're upgrading Kratos, it's not like you're upgrading abilities that then you can at- assign to a quick slot or you can assign to a single button on your controller. No, as you're upgrading, you're really upgrading the at- your access to combos where you're still going to have to go like circle, circle, square, triangle, circles, you know, or whatever the, the, the combo is to make this effect happen. And I don't like that. I don't like memorizing combo, you know, button sequences. Uh, I'd rather just map it to a button and uh, I hit the button and then it happens, you know. Um, so that's that's not fun for me. What, what that is going to mean is rather than me dedicating time to figuring out and getting used to button sequences, I just dial the difficulty down to easy so I can button mash my way through. But, you know, rocking a hard place situation, that means the combat isn't very interesting, you know. So... Um, but I could get past that if, you know, the puzzles weren't so frequent and, you know, cause the story is, well, the story between the father and son stuff, anytime the father and son stuff is there is really, really engaging with me. But the other stuff, I'm just, it's just like any other video game. I, I really don't play video games for stories. And when they kind of get caught up in telling their story and taking, especially if it takes me out of gameplay, I'm like, skip, skip, come on, this is boring. I, I think that, um, that movies and TV and books and comics, there are just um, much stronger uh, mediums for storytelling still at this time than uh, than video games. Um, for me, the story, quote unquote, that I really like is the one that I get to create through my actions. Um, and so, I don't know. Um, 
what else? I think I think that's about it. It's uh, so in a nutshell the things I liked about it. The voice acting I thought was great. The father-son stuff was really, uh, really engaging with me. And uh, and there were several moments in the game, just in the first five hours alone, where I was really emotionally invested. It didn't take much. Just, you know, in fact, I could be, you know, laughing and making fun of you know something about the game that I don't like or that I think is weird or whatever. And and I could even know that a father-son moment is coming. Um, and when it comes, it still, you know, had an effect on me. So, um, so if you're, if you connect with father son stuff, I think that there's maybe a good chance that you'll, that you'll connect with those moments in this game. Um, I really love the, the graphics, the visual design, the, the dark sword and sorcery, Nord inspired, uh, or Viking, you know, mythology inspired, uh, world. Very, very cool stuff. Um, what else? Yeah. It's the sound, the score, you know, all really good stuff. Uh, but that, that stuff doesn't pull me through because of the puzzles that I don't like. I think if you like puzzles, I think you'll probably be fine. I just don't like puzzles. And then the, uh, the upgrade system, which, uh, doesn't feel like, like uh, I have much choice there. And so I'd rather just skip it and leave it alone. But the combat system, because I don't like combos, uh, results in an oversimplified button mashing experience for me. Um, so anyway, all that makes it a pass, but all that said, I get it. I, I get why it's not that, oh, my tastes are so refined and stuff, <laughs> you know, that I see the flaws that no one else does, you know. Um, I, I totally get why people would like this game. Um, and I would get, I can get why people wouldn't be bothered by, uh, the, 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 the kind of the narrow, uh, gated nature of the progression system. I'm coming from more of an RPG type of background where um, I'm just going to want those things more. And so if you give me something that even looks kind of like a progression system, I'm going to like have this baggage <laughs> that I carry along with me where I'm going to want more, 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 more customization, more options and stuff. So I can see why that wouldn't bother people. I can see why the puzzles wouldn't bother people. I can see why the the story stuff wouldn't bother people. Um, so I, I get it. I get why this game is really being praised by a ton of people. Just not my kind of game at the end of the day. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. As a reminder, over at spiritblade.com, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast. They were published as the Spiritblade Underground Podcast and are archived and available for download at spiritblade.com. Uh, the Summer of Free is coming soon. For those who don't know, for a while now, every summer, we celebrate the Summer of Free on this podcast, where I uh, try to highlight some free geek entertainment options uh, for those who maybe need a season where they get their finances under control a little bit more. It's uh, uh, very common for us as geeks, I think, to get so passionate about our hobbies that we don't really think responsibly about uh, our finances and uh, things that we should really make sure that we're prioritizing first when it comes to where our money goes. And so uh, the summer free is in place because a lot of times the summer is also kind of a uh, a dry period, at least for big expenditures like video games. I know that it's a big time for movie releases and stuff like that. 
like that. But uh, uh, but uh, there's not a lot of video games that are that are often coming out during the summer, and so it seems like a a, a period where you know, okay, yeah, there's not a lot of the stuff that's like pulling us to spend a lot of money right now um like say there is during the fall leading into the christmas season where everyone's like got their new hotness things out and they're trying to get you you know to put them on your christmas list or whatever um so uh, anyway yeah that's that's the idea um but i always need suggestions i always need suggestions it, I, it this thing gets a little bit harder every year <laughs> to scour the internet and find something that i haven't talked about before that i haven't found before that's been created since the last summer of free so I'd love to get your suggestions. You can email me at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. I've also put a thread up on the forums at christiangeekcentral.com. You can comment there. I'm looking specifically for stuff that is, first, 100% free, that is not going to tempt you to spend money. There are some things that are quote-unquote free that will tempt you to spend money. I really don't like uh, featuring those nearly as much. Um, And then also is 100% legal with no gray areas. You know, I know there's some things out there like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of a gray area, you know, legally and stuff like that. I don't even want to mess with gray areas. This is like 100% free, no questions asked. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's it for that. Also, at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central, uh, I didn't talk about the, the videos that went up last week because last week was just a hot mess of a week. <laughs> things were being posted out of order on YouTube anyway and late and... Last week was a crazy week. Um, anyway, so let me get you caught up. Uh, l- between last week and this week at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central, I posted the video, Why Nudity Should Bother Us, uh, which is my uh, talk about, my, my return to the subject of nudity in entertainment from a different angle than I've talked about it before and maybe that than you've thought about it before. Um, a lot of times, you know, we can, uh, I can hear, you know, folks say, you know, um, nudity actually isn't a problem for me. I don't, uh, I don't you know feel any uh, temptation or uh, or shame or anything like that I don't I don't I'm not feeling any problems going on in me um, when I when I see nudity in entertainment and uh, and but nudity I've discovered as I've looked at this issue over the years um, is is a different animal from say seeing violence in uh, in entertainment it it is a different animal and i explain why it's a different animal uh including some uh, ref- some uh, links some references to research that you can go check out on how it has been uh shown clinically that uh nudity has a different effect on us even if we don't feel it even if we don't feel like oh this is having an effect on me oh this is causing me to to view women a certain way or having if we don't feel anything going on there's still stuff that is going on uh that we need to be aware of and there's also some stuff going on in the making of those kinds of products uh so the so basically this is a video uh, a video that's um that's uh not so much saying um be more aware of you know how you're feeling and how it's affecting you and, and what temptations you might be feeling it's more about like regardless of what you're feeling nudity should concern us and here's why um and then also my uh, intro video to my new series essential issues which uh, is going to be focusing on dc comics that uh, have really been essential to my enjoyment of the dc universe and then i'm also going to be talking about what those uh, comic book issues and stories and stuff like that have to say about the essential issues uh, of life so that video is up as well uh, i've also put up the final video in my extra life 20 
17 highlight series featuring the delirious uh, late night hours of my uh, live stream. This was the live stream that uh, totally went off the rails because the the what you would call it the um, the, the feed the, the feed the uh, internet there was internet problems and so basically I had to shut down the streaming aspect of my marathon about halfway through and then I completed the rest of the marathon by myself but I continued recording that entire time. It was an interesting dynamic because I didn't have any viewers or just the knowledge that I was being watched you know live to kind of keep me awake that can kind of keep me a little bit more on as it were uh, compared to when I'm just playing you know when I'm just recording myself and so I found that I kind of had to find ways to keep myself awake <laughs> which led to some weirdness in the late night hours so uh, you can see that the video is called Delirious Late Night Gaming um, on our YouTube channel. Then also uh, the Ephesians Bible study that we did last time, Fighting Our True Enemies Part 2 is up there as well. On on top of that, my God of War trial and error video where you can see me playing through the game terribly and reacting to it along the way. And finally, you should also be able to find my In Avengers Infinity War review. All of that at youtube.com slash Central. And while you're there, if you want to like, share, and subscribe, those uh, are nice ways to help help support the uh, the channel and, and this community. Um, what else here? That might be it, but as a reminder, if you <clears throat> want to help make sure that Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central can keep doing what we're doing or do more of it, both faster and better, you're invited to make a donation of any amount, anytime. Or you can become a part of the Spirit Blade Insider Program and get monthly exclusive goodies. I do want to say a special thank you to all of my insiders for your very tangible support, guys, uh, that makes so much of my work possible. For more information about becoming a Spirit Blade Insider, you can visit our About page at spiritblade.com. And while you're there, you're also invited to support us. Oh my gosh, my voice is falling apart. I can feel a little something coming. I gotta get a drink here. <clears throat> Man, I could feel my voice getting less resonant and getting like over the course of that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it really started to catch at the end. Uh, while you're there at spiritblade.com, you're also invited to support us by purchasing a download of one of our original sci-fi fantasy audio dramas for a friend or a family member with our available gift codes. Again, for information, visit spiritblade.com. Our friends over at speculativefaith.com are lending us another article, this one titled Writing Supernatural Stories by Rebecca Luella Miller, published April 16th, 2018 at speculativefaith.com. She writes, One of the books that had the greatest effect on my life was C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, as I've mentioned in this space before. In many ways, the effect this little book has had upon me is surprising because it is most nearly supernatural fiction. And my reaction to the supernatural fiction? It's not my favorite thing, and that's putting it mildly. Then why did I take so strongly to The Great Divorce? Why do I still claim it as one of the top books I love? I think the answer to that question is closely linked to another one. Why don't I like supernatural fiction? The answer to that question is fairly straightforward. I believe in the supernatural, that it is as real as this physical world is, though we cannot test it with our physical senses. But I stake my life on the supernatural because the Bible has revealed this non-physical world to us. Elijah saw a supernatural army that his servant could not see. Jesus referred to the legion of angels he could call on at his crucifixion if he had chosen to do so. Samson's mother discussed his birth with an angel. 
Abraham and Sarah entertained angels more than once. Jesus called out the demons from the man living among the graves. Paul cast out the demon inhabiting the life of a girl who used to predict the future. These were real encounters, ones we know about because the Bible records them. It also records Ezekiel's vision of God on his throne and an eerily similar one by John in Revelation. The language in those is hard to understand as literal, what with white garments and fire and gleaming bronze and wheels and eyes all around them and more. Those events solidify the idea that the supernatural is real, however, but it also introduces the idea that it's a bit foreign to what we know and what we can understand. So why, I wonder, do writers take on the supernatural in fiction? If it is true, and it is beyond our ability to understand, what can a story about the supernatural accomplish? C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce did one main thing for me. It convinced me that the supernatural is true. He did so not by fictionalizing the Bible when it speaks of heaven or of hell, for that matter. Rather, he took a simple truth. Eternity is what lasts. This earth is temporal. And he showed this fact in his story. I was never in doubt about what Lewis was saying. I did not conclude that he thought heaven was just like the place he described. In fact, he left the precise details of heaven unexplored, but he gave description of the terrain leading to heaven. And yet today, in the era of story, many authors, believers and unbelievers alike, have taken up the idea of writing about the supernatural. Some bring angels to earth and some take humans to hell. Those stories trouble me. Yes, I do believe angels can take on human form as they did in the Old Testament, but I think there's a need to handle them in a way that is consistent with the Bible. Sure, we don't know a lot, so some speculation would seem to be necessary, but none of it, I believe, should contradict the Bible. A few authors have that as their foundational principle, too, and those stories actually accomplish something akin to Lewis's story. Others, however, seem to operate on the idea that speculation can take the story away from revealed biblical truth. The problem I have is simple. Won't readers look at those stories in the same way they do ones about vampires or werewolves or zombies? Won't they think of angels and demons as simply fabrications of the author? The thing is, demons are real. Angels are real. Heaven and hell are real. If a story makes them seem like make-believe, isn't it doing the opposite of what Lewis did in The Great Divorce? And is that okay? Is it okay to lead people to conclude that what is real is instead pretend? I'm fully aware that there are writers who have a different view. I mean, the number of stories about the supernatural seems to grow. Why, I wonder? Why do writers write these stories? What do they want to accomplish through them? Why do readers read them? I mean, I assume there is a significant audience since so many stories continue to appear. I realize that Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness may have opened the door to the genre, but his stories seem to aim at the same thing Lewis's The Great Divorce did. He wanted to show that the supernatural is real. Can stories that wildly speculate to the point that there is little resemblance to what the Bible says about supernatural entities accomplish the same thing? And if not, then what do they accomplish? One last question. Is it okay to use real supernatural beings in a fictitious way in order to create an entertaining story? I guess that would be sort of like creating an alternate history. 
So instead of taking the premise, what if JFK had not been assassinated, or what if Judas accepted Christ at the end of his life, the question is, what if a person can travel to hell, or some such thing that seems clearly opposed to reality? I admit, I'm conflicted here. I'm interested in what others think about this subject. Please feel free to add your comments as well. That's a really interesting topic, um, and one that I certainly had to spend time thinking about myself as I was putting together the uh, the Spirit Blade trilogy. There are some important choices to be made when you are trying to represent um, spiritual truths and at the same time tell a, uh, a fantastic uh, speculative story that uh, exercises the imagination. So some really, uh, really good questions that uh, that she raises. Uh, you can find that article, again, over at speculativefaith.com by Rebecca Luella Miller titled Writing Supernatural Stories. I want to once again thank Speculative Faith for letting us uh, use that article. Incoming transmission. Hey, Peter, it's John Wilkerson, just calling to congratulate you on 500 episodes of the podcast. That is a huge, huge milestone. You don't really realize that. There's a lot of people who don't get past 100, and you've obviously gone way past that. I have enjoyed so much listening to your podcast over the last 10 years, so blessed to have found it, and I look forward to it every week, even though I'm the one who suggested and talk to you about the name change. I probably should have sent in this message before you went away. But anyway, it'll get played after you get back. So that's fine. God bless you, brother. Keep up the great work that you're doing there at Spirit Blade. Um, you know, I think I think you're doing the Lord's work. I really do. Uh, there's a lot of geeks out there that are encouraged by what you're sharing. And I pray that also... People are, you know, coming to know the Lord because of it. So God bless your brother. Bye. Thank you so much, John. Um, I really appreciated your wisdom and suggestions over the years. Uh, you've given several key suggestions that have made a big improvement to my work, both in podcasting and audio drama. I still use that levelator that you <laughs> that many, many moons ago you recommended to me. Still use it, still love it. I use it every week for the podcast. I use it for my uh, audio uh, entertainment uh, mixing and stuff. Uh, <laughs> awesome tools. So, um, And one thing I've really appreciated about you, John, and I've been grateful for is uh, n- uh, not just your, your knowledge and your willingness to share it, but your uh, ability to share it with tact and grace. Um, I, felt, uh, I felt encouraged and supported uh, rather than uh, kind of like negatively criticized by uh, your suggestions and stuff. So that's really have appreciated you as an ally uh, over the years. Uh, so thank you very much, John. Um, Drew Rubb also wrote recently and uh, said, Episode 501 really needs a good Star Wars inclusion since it's the 501st episode. As a reference, the 501st is also the squad of troopers known as Vader's Fist. And it's the charity costuming club that dresses as Imperial troopers of all types and raises money for children's charities. And no, the bootleg episode doesn't count as an official number, so you haven't screwed up the numbering. Smiley face. Um... (laughs) Sorry I missed that Star Wars opportunity, Drew. Um, I'm also not sure I didn't still screw up the numbering. Those uh, missing episodes and episode zero make things a bit murky for me, but hey, it's still fun to celebrate typing 500 next to a podcast episode title. So, 
all right, guys, as a reminder, I want your feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. Uh, what should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email, email, email. It's a, it's a little meal made of uh, little noodles that are shaped like E's. That's an email. Uh, but you really want to send an email uh, or audio file recorded in your phone. Jeez! I mean, you can record it however you want. It can be on your phone, whatever. But you send it to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And once again, as a reminder, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good uh, church in your area... I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities, uh, obviously, I think those are a good supplement. That's why I do what I do. But by nature, they can't speak to your particular situation. I mean, speaking for myself, I am trying to create content that is going to connect with a broad range uh, of, you know, the subcategory of Christian geeks. But it's still like this broad I don't know your particular situations and stuff like that. So sometimes I'll be sharing things that, you know, you might in your mind say... Well, Peter, yes, I hear you, but I've got this going on, or this is going, this is true of my situation. How is that relevant to, you know, so there there are exceptions, and there are, you know, it's just, life is complicated. <laughs> it is complicated. And so while uh, while resources like what I'm doing, or what like what other people are doing online, can be helpful in, in a general way, they cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that just kind of lacks Bible-based intentionality, or maybe you're not attending any church at all right now, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. Um, it, don't think that it's a lost cause. Uh, please feel free to email me, even if you feel like, I've looked around in my area, you know, um, maybe I'll find something by doing an online search using your zip code or your area code if you're in another country or whatever um if i can help you even if it doesn't work out i, I want to give it a shot if, if you're interested in getting some help with that so you can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together um i want to thank rebecca luella miller and speculative faith for sharing that article with us this week thank you very much for that um stay tuned for ds9 shawarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning as a reminder you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it, I'll be sharing some blips and bloops off of the Christian Geek Radar and also uh, the first part of my Essential Issues comic book series featuring the story Crisis on Infinite Earths, which... Ooh, was really a major part of my appreciation of the DC Universe, but as I've been rereading it in prep for talking about it, I have some really mixed feelings about it. In many ways, it's kind of hard to recommend as a read that stands up well today, and yet I think in many ways it is very worth reading to appreciate a lot of the... Uh, the stuff going on in the D that's unique to the DC universe. So anyway, I'll share those conflicted thoughts uh, next time. If God allows it till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian geek central and spirit blade productions by purchasing an audio drama, leaving a donation or becoming a spirit blade in
Insider. You can get more information from our About page at spiritblade.com. Thank you so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Painter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. Hate! Uh, we just finished watching The Ascent, um, which is two subplots, both about people who normally get along, who really start to loathe each other. That's the theme, is you ever hate the guy who's across from you. I'm not sure that Quark and Odo normally get along. They, they have a, a frenemy relationship going on at best. Yeah, but more often than not, they are, there's at least a cordiality They're at least to it. civil, yeah. Um, although I find... Odo is often the, the less kind of the two, even though he's the law and order good guy. Um, let's see, the story begins with uh, Odo is taking Quark uh, to a grand jury, and they get bombed by the mob, basically, and they get cr- they crash on a planet, and they have to survive. So it's it's very basic story, because uh, it's, it's just about stretching them to their limits. It's not about... You know, working out a deep plot or motivations or anything like that. So there's not much to say about that. It's just, it's Odo and Quark dealing with things. And they do just openly talk about how much they hate each other by the end. So they're getting straight down. And it's not the usual, like, we as things get tough, we love each other more and we become the bestest brothers ever. It's like, they... No, they're, they're, they're genuinely taking chunks out of each other. Yeah. They're saying things that... That are calculated to hurt the yeah. other one. They're hitting each other in the soft spots yeah. big time. Both of them. And yet, it's still pretty funny all the way up to the end. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't find it particularly funny. So, I mean, there were funny moments. Don't get me wrong. I, just, I wouldn't call it consistently funny. But I know you have a much much more of a soft spot for the Odo-Quark relationship than I do. You just really like that one. Yeah, I, I, I find that you put the two of them together and let them interact. It's like how Pater says... There are certain characters that he could just watch do anything. If you put Quark and Odo together in a room and have them play checkers or eat dinner, I could watch that because they're funny when they interact. And that's about the first third is them on... Now, I do have to take umbrage with the... It's very contrived because they're going to this grand jury and it's going to take eight days by runabout at high warp. And I'm just saying... Eight days of travel in this in the era of Star Trek, where I mean, I, I don't want to give things away, but I'll just say this: Quark is not a prisoner. His presence is not necessary. Just 
So there's no reason why he couldn't just talk over subspace or or that they couldn't send an agent to Deep Space Nine or any other kind of thing. Because that's what real systems do. Grand juries, you don't, not everyone has to go to where they are. Well, and also, like you said, it's an eight-day trip. So you think if you're going to be traveling for eight days on the way to somewhere, you don't take an eight-day trip if you could help it at all in your tiny little beetle. No, you... You'd rent a van if you could, or yeah. you'd, you'd get on a bus. Or well, and that's the thing. Why would you take the little tiny shuttle? Why wouldn't they, like, get on an actual spaceship that's yeah. headed in the right direction? That maybe can go much faster. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, because by the end, the Defiant comes to rescue them. Shock of shocks, Odo and Quark don't die at the end of this. Sorry to ruin that for you. Uh, the Defiant comes to rescue them. I don't think that they were there for another, because it was like four day, four or five days in that they crashed. I don't think it took them four or five days while Quark was freezing on top of the mountain. So yeah. I'm guessing the Defiant can go a lot, lot quicker. Um, and then there's the secondary plot, which is the comedic plot. And again, there's funny moments, but I, it's it's Jake and Nog. Nog is coming back to Deep Space Nine. Because apparently for a sophomore year, you spend a long time where they send you somewhere and you study. Yeah, they put so, you on a field internship. Yeah, field internship. And apparently someone, either Nog requested it or Cisco, somehow Nog was brought back to Deep Space Nine. I doubt that's mere coincidence, but Nog gets come back, and so he's rooming with Jake. And so, of course, everything's dialed up to 11. It's the odd couple. Jake, who's always been fairly shiftless, is a complete slob who, like, in the course of an afternoon, can ruin an apartment just by reading, reading and flopping things around and throwing his garbage everywhere. And Nog is like... The fill-in-the-blank Nazi about everything. It's yeah. almost like with Odo gone, we need a fascist on the station, so Nog fills in. I just realized, both sides of this, we've got order versus chaos. Yeah. Oh, you didn't realize the parallels? Well, I realized it was, you know, two people that don't get along well, but I didn't realize it was on exactly the same axis. Yeah, a quote-unquote good guy versus a bad guy, if you will. Well, I, I wouldn't even say it's good guy versus bad guy. I'd say it's the... The D&D lawful versus chaotic. Yeah, I guess you're right. That is a better... Yeah. You're right. You know, and they were talking early on about how Odo was... Or Cork uh, was chiding Odo because now that Odo is a, a solid, even now he still doesn't do anything for fun. He's still rigid, uptight, and he's calling him a prude and all these things. Yeah, and that kind of is like Jake and Nog. And Jake and Nog are obviously less extreme, but same idea. Even Odo's fiction reading, he claims is research. You know, he's yes. reading, like, detective novels. Yeah, which is obviously, that's Odo's issue. Is like, he just, he can't admit he's relaxing. And I'm sure you guys might know someone like that who just, like, everything is serious and dour to them. They're, they're, everything is purpose. Everything eternally is Eternally sucking on a lemon. And it's just, yeah. That's why Kim and I... We both easily are more identified with uh, Jake in that yeah, one. Yeah, we're kind of messy. Oh, yeah, we're slobs. Crazy, but, yeah. But, it, I mean, if you have to go to one extreme, I think that's a better extreme. Because the, the rigid, uptight, uh, shovel up a coal and get a diamond a week later kind of person, <laughs> to me, is far, far less appealing. If I had to go to an extreme, I'd much rather find a middle ground, which is obviously the the obvious thing you would say, is find the middle ground, but it's but, not yeah, that simple. Where in the middle? We've got odd couple shenanigans with Jake and Nog. And Mount Doom with Cork and Odo. And I love the bit that you pointed out about Rom in this. Yeah, 
Rom is upset because his son is being an uptight, you know, and Rom's just waiting on that diamond. And so at the very beginning, there was a little, th- as, as if you've been keeping up, you'll know that Quark really dislikes that his uh, nephew is getting all humanized. And they've made the, the silly little thing about root beer, and root beer has become the symbol of human, you know, of, how, of, of federationness. About how sweet and bubbly and fun and coy and harmless they are and all this kind of thing. And so, of course, uh, he's wrong. Like, he's got some root beers for his son. He goes, so you think you'll mind if I have one? And he's drinking it out. And, of course, going, my son drinking root beer. And then later, after all the various odd couple shenanigans have been going on, uh, Nog ends up living with his father and has been, you know, again, he's been making his father wait on the diamond now. And so... We see Rom go up and he orders a snail juice, which is obviously a very Ferengi drink. And I realized, hey, is that them being subtle and actually saying like, okay, well now now that he's actually with his son, he's not as charmed by him as he used to be. He's going back to the Ferengi thing. I'm tired of this human stuff. Yeah, now, now he's seeing the less pleasant side of the Federation and wanting to back off from yeah. that a little bit. Well, that is true. That And that's one thing I love about Deep Space Nine is more than any other Star Trek, it's willing to say... The, the Federation is not right about everything. Sometimes the Federation is too uptight. Sometimes the Federation just wants to make everyone... And that's what we talk about with Nog. Is it's not just that Nog wants the room clean. It's not just that Nog wants to get up at 4.30 in the morning and work out. demands that Jake do likewise. And that's where it's unfair. Because I, I know people who are very regimented and strict. And they have and there's nothing wrong with that. That Everyone finds their own balance. But that's just it. It's, it's when you won't let... And it would be just the same as if you were a looser person and you demanded and told them, no, no, you're going to stay in bed until so-and-so. You're not going to get up so early. That's not fair. It's not fair to force that on anyone. Cause it's, you're going to eat these weak old donuts and like it. Floor donuts. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Well, we, yeah, we're already planning out where eventually we'll do a POS on this episode. Cause, not even because it's bad. It's right in that weird middle ground where it's like, because my own terms for POS, which is bad, or SOS, which is good, is the limit is, would I watch this just to watch it? I have watched it just to watch it before, but it's not one that I come back to a lot. It's, But it's not a bad episode, but it's not good. It's right in the middle of mediocre. You could take it or leave it depending on your personal tastes. Yeah. And obviously, obviously, for continuity, nothing of any import. The closest yeah. is Nog comes back, but I mean... You can talk about Nog just being there anyway, so... He's kind of like Stark, where he kind of comes and goes, because he's a secondary character. Um, so, yeah, that's the closest there is any real meaning in context, is Nog's back this time, so... So, yeah, yeah it's, it has some enjoyable things if you want to see some character tension. It is a pure character piece. There's almost no plot to it. The plot is the basis of structure to get the characters going at each other. And I wouldn't exactly call it a comedy, but it's more comedic than... Yeah. Not. But again, the the comedy's coming out of character. It's they're not just setting up for wacky situations. No, it's it's more putting putting personality conflicts in the same room and watching the sparks fly. Well, that's about it. Next time we're going to get to the fun, light-hearted attitude of religious prophesying and the gods changing your heart, and basically Cisco will all but get saved in this next episode. So we'll see you then.